Today we're going to finish our series in James. In a way, it feels like we've been in James for two years. And in another way, it feels like we just got started. And so today we're, we're going to wrap that series up. I hope that you have found that James is a challenging book. If you didn't find James to be a challenging book, then you didn't read it right. Uh, because it is challenging. It is convicting. Now, there's a lot in there to encourage us. There's a lot in there to give us comfort, but there's a lot in there that really challenges our thinking and challenges the way we live day in and day out. And so today we're going to wrap it up and jump right in. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 to 20 this morning. James chapter 5, 13 to 20. If you brought your Bibles, you can pop them open with us. If not, uh, we'll put the words up on the screen, but you also have them there in your handout. Hear the word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. and They should pray over him after anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain in the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins so we read these words um, the first thing we note is there's a lot in here and quite honestly I, can I just tell you up front I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this justice there's no way I can do this justice uh, with everything that I have read and studied on this particular passage, this you ought to just go grab a few commentaries and read it. Because a lot of times, even guys who, and ladies who've studied the Bible all their lives, who know the, the language, who know the culture, still when they get to a passage, they, they wrestle with this. And so, uh, you know, all the way from uh, John Calvin to John Piper and everything in between, reading these passages sometimes becomes a challenge. This is one of those. Now, it begins relatively simple. Look at what it says here at the beginning, verses uh, 13 and 14. If you're suffering, if your back's up against the wall, if you're going through trouble, if you're having a hard time, and the people to whom James was writing were indeed doing that. We've seen that all throughout the letter. Then pray. It doesn't say, listen, if, if things aren't going right in your life, then moan and groan and gripe and complain. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, hey, listen, if, you, if you're suffering, then make sure everybody around you suffers with you. It doesn't say, listen, if, if things are not going right in your life, then you have every reason to be, to, you know, just fly into a fit of rage and cuss people out. That's not what it says. It says, 
when life is hard and you're in trouble and you're suffering, then your best course of action and your first course of action is to pray. Pray to a God who understands. Listen, one of the things that we celebrate about Jesus, of course, is his divinity, but we also celebrate his humanity. God sent his son to us in the flesh. The writer of Hebrews says that, it, listen, if you're tempted, you need to know he was tempted in every way we are. He endured temptation. We look at the life of Jesus. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. There are parts of his life where he just had to sleep on the ground. We look at, at his life and we recognize that he was despised and rejected. And he was ultimately crucified. To say that God somehow can't understand our suffering is kind of a ridiculous thing when we back up and take a look at it. And so when we suffer, regardless of what level of suffering that is, when we have trouble, no matter what level of trouble that is, our first resort, James says, is to pray. Well, that kind of makes sense. The second thing he says is, if you're cheerful, if you're happy, you know those days when things go right, And you feel like you're on top of the world instead of the world being on top of you. On those days, sing songs of praise. Now, praise is still prayer. It's it's still prayer. It's just a kind of prayer where, where our gratitude wells up so much in our hearts that it cannot help but overflow out of our mouths. You heard some of that this morning as we sang, Great is thy faithfulness. That is a song of praise. James says, listen, when things are going well in your life, don't chalk it up to luck. When things are going well in your life, don't just say, hey, you know, I've earned this. I've worked hard. I, I, I deserve this. When things are going well in your life, go to God and let gratitude just pour out in song to God. Okay? Makes sense. The third thing he says also makes sense. If any one of you is sick, he should call on the elders to come and to pray. Now, when we look at this, I want to scratch a little bit beneath the surface on this one because I think it helps us to understand. You don't have to wait to have elders or people from the church or pastors or whatever come to your house or come to the hospital and pray for you. That is not what it's saying. It, it's, it's fine for you, and you should share your prayer requests. That's one of the things that we as a church want to do for one another and ought to do for one another, and that is to pray for one another and to pray with one another. You don't have to have an elder. You don't have to have a deacon. You don't have to have a pastor. Anyone in here can pray for you. And so make sure you call on them. But what James is talking about here is a little bit different because he says, listen, if you've got to call on the elders, then the odds are, you're not able to get up and go. As a matter of fact, he says, call the elders and they will pray over you. If you've ever visited anyone in the hospital and prayed for them, you know that when you pray for them, you're literally praying over them. So what James is probably talking about is someone whose sickness has placed them in the bed. They can't get up and go and ask for prayer. And what James is saying is, listen, when you're in that, when you're in those dire straits, when, when you are sick and in bed, and it may be life-threatening, it may not, but, but you're in bad shape. 
Don't be proud. Don't think, well, you know, I, I deserve this. Or don't lay in the hospital bed and go, oh, I don't deserve this. Call on the leaders in your church. Say, come, please come in and pray over me. Now this, we can understand this. this. This makes perfect sense. When we read these first couple of verses, we're like, okay, I got that. But I will tell you, it gets a little more challenging as you go through these verses. Notice in verse 15, he says, The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I've got to tell you, commentators literally stumble all over themselves with these verses, with this verse right here. What does this mean? Because James doesn't pick normal words. For instance, the word that he uses, uh, the prayer of the faith will save a sick person. That's an interesting choice of words because if he just wanted to say that they would be physically healed, there was a completely different word for that. This word is much bigger than just a physical healing. And so what's behind it, we need to understand up front, is something that's bigger. But what we need to focus on right now is this little phrase, because I've heard it used in different ways, the prayer of faith, because this sounds like some kind of magical incantation. You know, if I can just find the right words and hold my mouth right when I say them, then somehow it's going to be like magic, and God's going to do exactly what I want him to do. So what is this prayer of faith? And the only way we can understand it is actually by looking at the example that James gives us here in the text. And the example is Elijah. The example is Elijah. Elijah, considered the preeminent prophet in the Old Testament. Elijah, who did all kinds of miracles. And I could be wrong on this. You can go back. Please double check me. But I I think if you look in the life of Elijah, what's recorded there in the Old Testament, uh, there's only one incident that I can remember of what we would call healing, physical healing. And that was with the widow's son who was actually dead. And Elijah brought him back to life. So I guess that's kind of the ultimate healing right there. But uh, the rest of it really really doesn't deal with anything physically healing sick people. Not that he didn't do it. It's just that it's not mentioned. And what James uses has absolutely nothing to do with what we think about as healing. He's talking about the weather. Elijah prayed for three and a half years. It didn't rain. And then Elijah prayed again and then it rained. So what, what is James trying to, to get to? And how does, this, how does this help us understand the prayer of faith? And I put the scripture up here on the, on the screen for you. And I've kind of highlighted a few words because I want to I focus on this because I think it helps us to understand a little bit of what, what James is trying to tell us. First of all, Elijah, it says, was a man with a nature like ours. What is he trying to say? James is trying to say, even if he was a great prophet, he was still a man. It wasn't that, that, that Elijah had something that we can't have. It wasn't that Elijah was on a different level when it came to praying that God gave him more credit than he gave to us. That when we go, God listens in a different way than he listened to to Elijah. No, Uh, James makes it clear. He was a man, just like we are. He had a nature like us. He wasn't Superman. That's important for us to understand. Secondly, he prayed earnestly. 
the, the Greek says that he, he, he prayed with a prayer. And you go, what? What? Whenever the Greek uses a word double like that, it's, it's expressing intensity. And so this translation is really good. He prayed earnestly or he played, prayed intensely. What does this mean? It means that Elijah's prayers weren't like drive-by prayers. His prayers were consistent, knee-callousing kind of prayers. He prayed consistently and persistently. He kept on asking, kept on seeking, kept on knocking. He was like the story of the widow that Jesus tells, who went day after day after day to make the request. Elijah certainly uh, was this kind of guy. He had a serious prayer life. It wasn't that we can't have it because he's a guy just like us. But he took prayer seriously. And the third thing we note here is that his prayers were consistent with the revealed will of God. Um, I went back and I, I read 1 Kings. I tried to, to get, get my hands around this, get my brain around this. And I did not find anywhere in 1 Kings where it explicitly says that Elijah prayed for rain or prayed that, prayed that it would stop raining or prayed that it would rain. Now, it obviously did because it says it here. But that's not the point that 1 Kings is trying to get across to us. Now, Elijah certainly had a heart after God's own heart. Do you remember the, the king and the queen in Israel? Come on. Somebody knows who they were during Elijah's time. Ahab and Jezebel. Okay. Infamous. They'd be on the most wanted posters. Okay. They were awful. They were wicked. Uh, they, I mean, if you think our politicians today were bad, man, they are like Mary Poppins compared to Ahab and Jezebel. They were awful. And so... You can imagine that Elijah would be praying just like some of us pray when we look at our elected leaders. And that is, God, you see how bad this is. You see how your people are being treated. You see how your name is being dragged down. You see your prophets are being killed. And you see that, that they're raising up these false prophets and causing people to worship false gods. God, do something about it. Because that's sometimes all we know how to pray, right? God, do, do something. When we do that, what we're saying is righteousness is important. I'm aligning both my life and my prayers up with God's righteousness. This isn't right. And therefore, I'm coming to join God in praying for this. Now, did, <laughs> did Elijah say, you know what, God? I th- this is a good idea. Why don't you make it quit raining for three and a half years? And, you know, God's sitting there on the throne going, you know, I never thought of that. Never crossed my mind, Elijah. I'm so glad you came up with that idea because I never would have gotten that. Listen, this is why Elijah could pray a prayer of faith. Why he's our example of a prayer of faith. Because his prayer life was tracking along, consistent with, lined up with the righteousness and the will of God. The prayer of faith is not about getting God to do what he doesn't want to do. The prayer of faith is not about getting God to do what we want him to do. The prayer of faith is about putting our personal, is, is not about putting our personal prayer life on display to say, hey, look, I prayed, bam, look what happened. 
Prayer life, prayer faith is not something that's restricted to superior Christians. The prayer faith may indeed move mountains, but I got to tell you something. They're mountains that God wants moved. The prayer faith means that we pray as the spirit moves and as the scriptures inform us. We pray seeking to know God's heart and to know God's will. We pray trusting him completely to always do what's best, even if we don't understand it. Oh, I believe Elijah prayed. I believe Elijah prayed the same kind of prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I'm bringing to you my heart. This is what I'm requesting. But I want to let you know that your will is more important than my will. Your plan is more important than my plan. And I'll trust you even if I don't understand. That's where some of us get in a little bit of trouble. When God doesn't answer our prayers the way we pray them. When God doesn't answer our prayers in our timing. When it seems like maybe God's not even listening. Then we get upset. We get our nose out of joint. We say, well, I mean, just why even pray? Our prayers need to line up with Elijah's prayers and with Jesus' prayers. They need to be prayers, prayers of faith. Because it tells us that the prayer of a righteous person, the person who's aligned his life and his heart with God, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Um, it, the uh, New American Standards puts it this way, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Because that person's prayers are linked with God's heart, linked with God's will. This, this whole thing, is not about getting what we want. This whole thing is about understanding what God wants and bringing our prayers in line with that. Uh, she's not here now, so I can talk about her. Um, Jermaine Copeland, if you've not gotten any of her books, I'm not, I don't get any money for her books, okay? I, I, I'm not getting a cut. But let me tell you what she's done, because I think this is very helpful in helping us to understand the prayer of faith and to help us to understand what, what praying in faith is all about. If you pick up any of her books, and if you want to look at some, I've got, got some in the office, I'll be happy to show them to you. What she has done is she's, she's taken scripture, and she's actually written prayers that, that are drawn from that scripture. Now, why is that important? Because if I'm praying scripture, I know I'm praying the will of God. So often our prayers are completely disassociated with the scriptures, completely disassociated with what God has already revealed. Too often our prayers are about getting what we want rather than getting, giving God what he wants. All prayer, listen, all prayer should be God-centered and never me-centered. And that takes a while. Listen, when you start praying, when you begin your prayer life, when you're a brand new Christian, I got to tell you, most of your prayers are me-centered. They are. Just like when you begin life as a small child, the whole world revolves around you. You cry for what you want. You scream when you don't get it. Um, The whole world centers around you. But as you grow up, 
parents, grandparents begin to teach their kids that, hey, this world doesn't center on you. Okay, grandparents mess that up. But parents try to teach that. This whole world doesn't center on you. There's something bigger than just you. I can't be here at your beck and call. The whole world doesn't revolve around you. And as you mature, you begin to understand that I'm not the center of the universe. When we mature as a Christian, we should also come to the same understanding. The whole world doesn't revolve around me. And my prayer life doesn't revolve around me. I can promise you this. If you find someone in here who's been faithfully walking with Christ for decades... You look at the totality of their prayer life, there will only be a small section that's devoted to me. That's it. They go from most of my prayer life being about me to very little of my prayer life being about me. They go from, you know, praying just request to having fewer requests and more praise. More thanksgiving, more acknowledgement of who God is. It's just a maturing process. Listen, we know, we know from experience, right here in this room, godly men and women who have prayed for someone who was sick and that person didn't get well. Listen, if my track record on prayer was simply tied to the people who were sick that I prayed for, to get well, you better kick me out. Just this past weekend, I was up at the hospital, had a chance to go visit Barbara Young. Some of you know her. Um, she's, she and her husband, John, were longtime residents of Greene County, uh, faithful members at First Baptist Church. I had an opportunity to go visit with her, and she was doing very, very poorly. This is one of these situations where, you know, if you're sick, call the elders to come pray for you. She's not able to come. I mean, you got to go to her, praying over her. Now, when I went in there, I looked at her, and I, my first impression, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. My first impression was she's not long for this world. She won't be here much longer. When I went in to pray for her, God did not reveal anything to me. He didn't say anything to me about how to pray for her. So what did I do? I went in and prayed for her, and I prayed for her health. I prayed for her healing. I prayed for her to be well. I prayed for her heart to beat strongly. I prayed for her to get up out of that bed and to go home. That's what I prayed. And at the end of my prayer, I didn't put in an escape clause. I didn't say, okay, but God, I, you, know, you might not do this, so whatever you, know, whatever you want to do. No, that's not what praying in the will of God is all about. It's giving God an out. It's basically saying, Lord, you know things that I don't know. And what you have in store for this woman is far beyond anything that I can even imagine. And so, Lord, if you're ready to take her home, by all means, don't let me stand in the way. It's important for us to understand our prayers. When when God doesn't answer a prayer for healing, it's not necessarily because your prayer was defective or the person's faith was defective or God happened to be out to lunch at that time. It's because God sees more, knows more 
and has more in store than you and I can ever imagine. When we pray, our motives are mixed. When we pray, our understanding is limited. When we pray, we literally cannot see beyond the moment. But God can. Philip Yancey wrote, I I think this is one of the most brilliant statements on prayer. He said, one who works in close partnership with God grows in the ability to discern what God wants to accomplish on earth and prays accordingly. That is the prayer of faith. It is not a magical incantation. It is an understanding of the heart and the will of God and aligning our prayer lives with that. Now, really quickly... Also, what we see in this passage is not only a concern for people's physical health, but we see a deep concern for spiritual needs and for lostness. Spiritual needs within the body of Christ and lostness. We are to pray for the sick and the hurting, but our prayers are not to be limited to praying only for the physical realm. James has already told us life is a vapor, a mist, puff of smoke. It's here, then it's gone. Life on earth is nothing. But eternity, it lasts a long, long time. I wish I could give the attribution properly, but I did hear a pastor say one time, we pray far more to keep people out of heaven than we do to get people into heaven. In other words, our prayer or more, Lord, keep keep them here, keep them here, keep them here. But we're not praying a lot for those who don't know Christ, who need Christ. Sin and sickness are real problems because we live in a real world. And you and I are not called to just watch stuff happen. We're called to be active participants. We're called to be people of faith who pray in faith, who confess and repent of our own sin, and who call for others to confess and repent as well. The church of Jesus Christ, just like the little video you saw at the very beginning, the church of Jesus Christ to be a place where people can come, confess, and find healing and restoration. And that includes all of us. Those who have been walking with Christ for decades, those who have been walking with Christ for just a few weeks, and those who have yet to come to know Christ. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, however, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we don't say we have any sins, then we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you hadn't discovered this already, Hiding your sin and pretending you're good, that doesn't work so well. What God wants are men and women who are willing to come to him and say, I really blew it this time. I promised you I'd never do that again. And look what I've done. Now Satan will tell us, oh, you really blew it. You, you, you better not go back to God. He's liable to slap you down. But God is waiting with open arms to receive the repentant, to receive the broken, 
We don't make ourselves clean. He makes us clean. I want to wrap up. I just want to give you some. There's so much in here. And again, I want to apologize that we really just scratched the surface on this passage. Dig deep. Take your time. Open the Bible. Let God speak to you. But I want to share with you uh, just, just five truths that come out of this that I want us to remember. And the first one is this. In every circumstance, pray. <laughs> Prayer is not the last resort. In every circumstance, pray. If, if you're sad, pray. If you're happy, pray. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're on top of the world, pray. In every circumstance, pray. Secondly, share your burden with the church and allow them to pray for you. I know some of you are private people. You don't want people knowing your stuff. I can understand that. If you don't want to put on the big list to go out to the whole church, fine. But find those men and women who you know will pray and entrust that to them. Understand that praying in faith has power. We need to understand what it means to pray in faith. It is not, our faith is not in our prayers. Our faith is in the God who hears our prayers. It's not that you know all the right words. It's that you know the right God. Fourth, our concern is not simply for people's physical needs, but also for their spiritual needs. Let me ask you, some of you have a prayer list, and, and I want to encourage you to have a, have a list people. Uh, how, let me, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I've got a list of people for whom I pray. I also have the church roster that I pray. I will, I, there, there are some in here I pray for on, an, on a daily basis because I know what you're going through and I know what your needs are. Others, you might, you might have Monday. You might have, you know, the second Wednesday of every month. But hey, you're getting prayed for, I assure you of that. You need to have a way that you pray. But on your list, let me ask you, do you have people who are lost on your list? People who don't know Jesus that you're praying for on a regular basis? If not, you've short-circuited what God wants to do. That is God's desire. He desires that all come to repentance, that none should perish. So are you and I praying for that to happen? Are we syncing up our hearts with God's heart for the lost? And then finally, and this really, if I were to rename, if I were to rename the series, in t- this whole sermon series, this would be the title of it. We're in this together. That's what he's saying. Listen, pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. But we also find he's telling us to encourage one another and to challenge one another. And to love one another. And to understand one another. I mean, he, the one another's in the New Testament are just, it just overflows with one another's. We are in this together. Don't think you have to go it alone. If you've got a need and you need someone to pray for them, come alongside. Find that person. If you've got a spiritual need, a burden, Find someone who will pray for you. This church is filled with people who would love to pray for you. If you're struggling with something in your life, listen, there are people here who want to help. And if you don't know Jesus, 
This room is absolutely filled with people who want nothing more than for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life forever. We're in it together. And can I tell you just personally, I'm glad I'm in it with you. You got my back, I got your back, and God's got both our backs. We're in this together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's not always easy to hear. Sometimes it's not even easy to understand. But Lord, that which we do understand, we want to apply. We want to make it part of our lives. We want to make your truth a transformative power in us. And so, Lord, I pray right now that, that you would move in hearts. There are those here who need to confess and repent and begin again. And, Lord, I thank you, your God, who gives us another chance, that you're waiting for the prodigal son to come and receive them. Lord, there are some who may need your son as Savior. They've struggled with this decision for a long, long time, and, and today they're ready to take that step and to receive Christ to embrace him as Savior and Lord of their lives. And Lord, there's some who just need a, need a place to belong. They need a church home. They need hearts that will wrap around their hearts, arms that will wrap around their arms. They need some place where they can learn and grow and serve. But more than a place, they need a people place to call home, a people to call family. And Lord, if you're calling them to be part of this fellowship, then Lord, let them come and acknowledge that today. Lord, it's time for us to move, to get out of our seats and respond to what you said to us. To pray for ourselves, to call others to pray for us, to pray for someone else to get our eyes off of me and to get our eyes onto you. Lord, whatever it is that you want us to do, uh, we want to tell you yes. We'll do it. We'll move. We'll respond. So let your spirit tug at us. Here we come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.